A uh, couple things before we really get rolling. First off, um, people don't know how to drive here. <laughs> Listen, if I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal kid. I grew up Pentecostal. So um, I grew up thinking you could lose your salvation. And I think I've lost it about 12 times in the past three days because the way people uh, drive around here, uh, it's been crazy. But, uh, no, we, we've enjoyed our time here. And, uh, and we're glad to be here with you guys. And we really do believe in what God's doing here. Like there, there's a whole bunch of people that are in the middle of their second service right now uh, who believe in what God's doing in this room and, and through uh, Mishi and Brandon. And, uh, and man, I had something. I texted them last night and I said, hey, man, remind me to tell you something that's really on my heart. You know, uh, and, and so I'm just going to tell it in front of the whole church. Dude, the the thousands of dollars that Bold City Church has given, the effort to come out, the effort to stand with you guys is 100% because we believe in what God's called you to. to. And we trust you, and we know that God's going to use you in a significant way. And it, it, there's no other reason for us to do it except we believe in what God's put on your life. You know, the first time I ever met Brandon was um, we had some mutual friends uh, that played for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are already victorious this week. Um, so we thank God for that. That's a miracle in itself right now, you know. And, uh, and so, uh, so anyway, I walked into a room with maybe a handful of guys, and uh, I was invited. They were like, hey, come, we're doing a Bible study. And, and Pastor Brandon was leading it, and I was like, left that thing. I was like, you know, I like this guy. You know how you're around somebody, and you're like, man, I like them. They're all right. Well, that was Pastor Brandon for me, and that was years ago, probably 2010, 2011 uh, is when I first encountered him. So uh, I believe in you guys. I'm standing with you, and there's a lot of other people that never met you, might not ever meet any of you, but they believe in what God's doing in this house. Can I pray? Is that all right? Is it okay to pray in church? All right, I just want to make sure it's one of those churches where you can pray in, you know? So, Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus. God, I just ask for an encounter this morning, each and every single one of us, to encounter you. We already sang to you, Holy Spirit, and told you that you're welcome. We've already pursued, and so we ask that you make this word come alive and that it penetrate our hearts, change and transform us. God, may we leave this place never the same. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so I've been in this weird funk of a season that pastors go through sometimes where it just gets hard, okay? Pastor in a church, we've been at it five years, and it has just been hard. And, uh, and so, so when I originally talked to Brandon, we talked about coming, we daydreamed about this community uh, series thing. So I thought I was going to be coming and preaching about community. And then last week, he hit me up with, hey, uh, we're in this series about choosing joy. And I thought, my God, this is a holy setup because right now, joy has seemed to be one of those things that have been hard to experience in my life. And so I needed this message. So if you don't get anything from it, it's okay because I'm here to preach to myself today. And so if you leave still hungry, I'm sorry, all right, because this, this is a divine moment for me and, uh, and something I need to walk out. So let's start. What, what is joy? Let's talk about it. it. It is a source or a cause of great happiness, right? We could even uh, venture out and say joy is a person, and his name is Jesus, all right? Uh, uh, it's a feeling of pleasure, 
right? It is more than just happiness. Joy can, uh, can, can get past your feelings. Joy can get past your emotions and tap into all of it. Uh, meaning this, you could be sick and still have joy, right? You could be going through tough times and still have joy. Where does it come from? What's the source of it? Many of us have been trying to figure this out. We've been looking at things and people for joy, but the source of it, you see it right here in Galatians 5, in a very famous scripture where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? It says, but the fruit or the harvest, what you reap, remember, listen, fruit is what is produced from something. It is the harvest. So what you harvest, what you have, what you're able to take away from this is love, Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And there's no law against any of this, right? We, we, we see that in Scripture. Joy is produced by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And just like Pastor Brandon just said, the Holy Spirit is the part of the Trinity that actually comes, the, the, the invasion of heaven in your life. Like he, he's not in this place in this venue he literally lives within you and one of the main functions one of the main things he does in your life is produce joy it's to produce joy uh, one translation that I read this from and it, it was like a light bulb um, that came out in the footnotes I was like holy cow I just took the fruit of the spirit to a whole different place that I realized because I, I don't know if you know this but when I read this when I was a teenager I thought man I have to become more gentle I have to become more patient right what's the what's the worst prayer you could ever pray for patience right because then the Lord will give you a six a four and a one-year-old and then Dallas traffic on top of that all right. And so then you're like, what is going on? Right. So I used to strive for these different fruits. But the reality is I read it and I saw it in a different way. Can I can I just enlighten you a little bit and, and take you somewhere? Listen, this is the Passion Translation, which is one of my favorite just to glean from right now. It's speaking to me. Let me read this to you. It says, but the fruit, right, the harvest. Notice that word is singular. The fruit. I grew up thinking that there was nine, but this is singular. Just stay with me for all you ones that are like, oh, he's about to preach heresy. Just hold tight. I promise you I'm not, right? But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love. Divine love in all its varied expressions. Meaning this, that when the Holy Spirit, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you encounter the heart of God. And you begin to experience his love. And as you begin to experience his love, it begins to manifest. It seeps out of your life. And it seeps out in those eight different ways. If you're lacking joy, then it's probably because you're not encountering love like you should. You want more joy in your life? You, it's, it's, listen, here I'm going to tell you how to get more joy. Closeness in relationship with God. The closer you get to them, the more joy will manifest in your life, right? And so we see that. So there's two ways to encounter joy. One is his word. Being in the scriptures. Listen, it's an epidemic in the American church that Christians, people who go to church, over 70% of them don't even read the Bible. 
Their only encounter with the scriptures is on Sunday morning or Wednesday night service or something like that, right? And remember what he says about his word. It's alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, right? It, it, listen, it, 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 it's to defend you, not just to defend you. It's to help you understand who you are. It's to help you encounter what Jesus has already did for you. So it, it, it helps you show, uh, it helps you to see who he is, right? So in his word, you can discover that God actually desires for you to walk in joy. It's part of the plan, the grand master plan that you see in scripture. He wants you to walk in joy. Um, this is where you discover his heart for yourself and others is in his word. The second is worship. Worship happens when we begin to understand God's heart for us. He wants to know us, and he wants us to know him. He wants to be with us. He's made, listen, it, it, worship becomes real when we realize that he's made a way over the sin gap. And his name is Jesus, right? And so, so I always tell people this. They're like, man, well, I'm not, I'm not really like a worshiper on Sunday morning. And then I say, I wonder why. You know, because if you go to a football game, you become a little more expressive when your team does well or not well, right? Uh, or, or you um, maybe, you know, maybe you're dating and you found somebody you really like and they make you feel some type of way. You become a little more expressive with things, right? Well, yeah, 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 but that's, I mean, it's church. I'm just not very expressive. Well, maybe it's because you got a lack of an encounter with love. And so, it, listen, the, the, the scripture says, in the, in the Passion Translation, it manifests in these, these eight various ways. It says joy that overflows. What does that mean? That God wants you to encounter him in such a way that he fills you with joy, that it don't just impact you, but it impacts those around you. And so, so if God, if you could ever get an understanding of how much he's forgiven you of, how much he's madly in love with you, listen, how much... He has been impacting you and you not even knowing it, right? Some of you are sitting here right now only because God spared you and saved you even when you didn't realize it. If we could get that, guess what? We don't need cheerleaders to make us worship. We just come. None of you ever showed up at a football game for your favorite team and somebody had to encourage you to cheer them on. Now, there is a cheerleading section down there, but we, ain't nobody really paying attention to them, all right? Unless maybe you're a retired cheerleader and you felt like you should have been that or whatever, right? But you're not paying any attention to them. You're, you're cheering on your team because if they win, it just does something for you. But Jesus has won. Even if, even if you don't think he's won, or even if you don't feel like he's one, he is one. And if you will worship, you will encounter these wins. You'll understand exactly what he's did, right? Listen, forgiveness will open the door to joy. If you want more joy in your life, there has to be an understanding, a revelation of how much forgiveness has been given to you and others. It will open the door 
And once we walk in joy, joy will always, always produce worship. The greater the understanding of how much God loves you and he forgives you, the more joy you will experience. The more joy means the more worship. The more worship. The the end result of joy is not just to make you and I feel good, but it's to bring worship. It's to bring worship. What is worship? I'm glad you asked. It's extravagant respect, admiration, and devotion to something or someone, right? Where can we find worship in Scripture? All over the place. We could talk about David dancing in the street. We could talk about all these other. But I want to give you the most foundational Scripture I've ever encountered when it comes to worship, meaning that not just in song, but literally living worship. I want to give it to you right here. If there's ever a Scripture I'd ever encourage any of you to memorize, it would be this one. All of our SEU interns, we have a a Southeastern University at, at our church, and we have over 20 students in it. And I always tell them, by the end of this semester, I need you to memorize Romans 12, 1, and 2, right? Let me read you 12, 1. Here it is. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy and your ability to see how much he's forgiven you, how much he loves you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Notice an alive sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. God is asking you to live for him, which I believe, in all honesty, can be harder than being a death sacrifice. You know how many Muslims and Middle Eastern people that will literally give up their life in the name of their faith and die like that because they believe in it so much. But yet God has summoned you and I to live for him with the same kind of, listen, I think it's even harder. It's even harder to live, to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The only way you become holy and pleasing is to walk in relationship with them. That is not, hey, modify your behavior, okay? That's how you worship. This is an invitation to encounter him, and he will modify your behavior. It will be the fruit produced from relationship that you will change and be transformed, right? This is how you find someone like Saul becoming Paul. Go look at Acts chapter 9. You see the road to Damascus. You see who Saul was before he encountered Christ. You see this encounter with Christ. And then you see the change after the encounter, right? This is what this is about. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So is worship just song? No. It's everything you do. It's how you treat your wife. Here's a big one. It's how you do your job. Even when you work for a boss, you don't want to work for. Should we take up an offering just on that one right there? Right? Listen, because everything you do when you worship is unto the Lord. It's unto the Lord. It's not just for you or for someone else. Come on, I've been there before. You had to work for somebody, and you're like, man, I'm just here for the paycheck. I don't even like them, right? But man, when you want to live a life of worship, when you want to be a living sacrifice, everything you do is unto the Lord, right? 
So what is worship? Worship is Romans 12, 1. It's you making a decision in your heart because you've encountered the divine love of God that you will be set apart and you will live as a living sacrifice for him. That's what it is. It's not merely a rit- it's not ritual activity, but it's an involvement of the heart, the mind, the will, in worship and obedient service. Obedience. Obedience is worship. Listen, you can do some things you don't want to do because God called you to them and you will experience joy even in the discomfort of them. Look at Jesus on the cross. Jesus was in the garden and said, Father, if you could take this cup, thank you very much. I'd appreciate that. But not my will, but your will be done. The most uncomfortable position any person has ever been placed in was Jesus on the cross. Yet he knew it is what the Father had called him to. And listen, he considered it even joy because you want to know why? Because I believe on Calvary in the eyes of Jesus was you and me. And the reason why? Because I believe he was looking at his Father who is madly in love with us, and he could see the reflection of brothers and sisters. Kept him hanging on that cross. Listen to what he says. Tell me joy wasn't there in this painful moment. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's possible. It's possible. What's the biggest thing that gets in the way of your worship and your worship will produce joy, right? Or or, or joy will produce worship, right? What's the biggest thing that gets in the way of your worship? Well, I'm glad you asked. You didn't ask, but I'm I'm glad you did, right? Listen, on the heart and inside your heart, on your heart, every man, woman, and child, there is a throne. There's a throne. And something or someone is sitting on that throne. Many of us are not experiencing joy because the king is not in his right seat in our life. And so, so I wanted to come to you, listen, and tell you that, hey, in worship, you know, is an expression of the joy you experience. But I come to tell you how to walk in joy, not just occasionally experience it. And so my message, the real message is titled, The King Wants His Seat Back. Because many of us are sitting on the the throne of our own heart, wondering why we're not experiencing the fullness of God. I'm probably not going to get any fans with this, but I don't really care. I just want you to leave this warehouse different and closer to God than you've ever been. Every heart has a throne, and on that throne, something or someone is sitting. Every day, without fail, each of us come to that throne and present ourselves as an obedient slave. I I mean, I'm I'm not a slave to anybody. No, you are. To something or someone, right? You show up every single day and you present yourself. I'm here. Let, Let me tell you, it runs rampant. Let me tell you what happens in the South, in Florida. I see it every time around, like every time fall comes, you see tons of men in our church present themselves to the throne. And on that, on that throne, you know what it is? It's hunting season and football. Hunting season and football. You know how many times I've walked to walk up to the platform 
okay? And I, I walk by somebody who's on their fantasy football app, changing their lineup really quick because, you know, games are starting out one, right? And you walk by and you see them while a whole congregation is engaged in worship, right? It's an epidemic, or maybe it's, a, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a man or woman extremely driven for a business or, or something of that nature. Here, here's one that you probably don't want to hear. It could be your kids. Yeah. We've got travel ball. We've got travel cheerleading. We've got school ball. We've got this. We've got that, right? You know how many people, the, 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 av- the average American goes to church 16 times a year. That's the average churchgoer. 16 times a year, an American churchgoer, they consider themselves a Christian. I go 16 times a year. You know what the common excuse is? Well, my kid had practice and my kid had that. And so the reality of it is like, listen, I done had these conversations with folks, man. I get it. You want your kid to be good at ball. You want them to get a scholarship. It saves you money. I understand that, right? But you know what happens to a lot of those guys? Because I am that kid in some regards. And and I, I have friends that were that kid. By the time they get to the age to get the scholarship, they're so fried with what they did and so over it that they don't even want to do it anymore. Yet we got moms and dads that don't even tithe, that don't give, but spend five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars a year so that their kid can be on a competitive cheerleading squad. And when they lose, they have a coach that looks at them and tells them it's your fault because you're not good enough. Right. So you deteriorate their confidence. Right. You broke. You can't even go out to eat because you got to pay for little Susie's cheerleading trip. Right. Right. And. And you're wondering why God's not showing up in your life because you're not showing up to meet with God, right? It could be many things sitting on that throne. And guess what? At the end of the day, you know what it is? It's an idol. Something that you love and admire much. That's what an idol is. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40. They said, teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? Jesus answered them to love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart. Passion is a power word. And with all the energy of your being and with everything, with, with every thought that's within you. This is the greatest, the great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way. Uh, you love yourself. Contained with these commandments uh, to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. The reality is this. Your life will be different. You won't have to be coached up or anything. If you will just love, if we will love the Lord our God with everything inside of us. Notice the order here, right? To love God and then to love people. Notice the order. The importance is important. Some of us like to love people but we don't spend time with God. Therefore, when people don't love us back, we're heartbroken and devastated because the reality is we're looking for something from that to help us define and understand ourselves. right? Notice the order. If you will love God, which means if you will love God, then you will understand how much he loves you, which will build your confidence which will become the foundation that you stand on. And then you will love people from there. You can't love people if you don't understand how much God loves you first. Right? And so, and so, and so we love 
God first, and then we love people because you want to know why? Because if they don't love us back, it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't change where we stand with God because it's, he is our foundation for, for love and understanding of who we are. Can I just tell you, there's four good things that will get in the throne, uh, the, the seat that the king deserves on your heart. There's four good things that, that I believe the church um, uh, endures and, and walks with and doesn't, doesn't realize that, hey, sometimes these things get in the way. The first one is this. First off, remember this. A good thing, good things aren't bad until they become a God thing. Good things aren't bad until they become a God thing, meaning they become the, the priority of your decision making. They become the one that you run to and cling to when you're going through things. Here's the first one, power. Power's not always bad. It gives you the ability to influence and impact and to, to, to make moves to change culture, to shape it. You need power, right? You need that type of stuff. But it becomes domineering sometimes. It becomes harsh and even abusive. Listen, if power is important to you and it's the chief thing that you stand on, you need to look and see, am I being dominant? Am I being harsh? Am I even being abusive, right? Here's a good way of filtering a boss. If they use their power to abuse their people, then you know who's sitting on the throne of their heart. The second is control. Control's not always bad. Like I control my kids, right? If I don't, they will run out in the street and they will die, right? But control can become bad. It'll create worry. It'll make you lose your temper. It'll cause you to manipulate others to get your way. That's what control will do. The third thing is approval. Approval's not bad. I mean, I hope you approve of me. And I hope I approve of you, and, that, and, and that's great. But the end, the, the end of the day, for a Christian, approval comes in presence, in his presence, right? That's where your approval is. If you have approval issues, if you're always doing something to win someone's approval, then you'll notice that you probably struggle with self-pity, that envy. Your feelings are always hurt, and you always feel inadequate and never good enough, right? The fourth thing is comfort. Comfort's not always bad. Everybody likes a good bed, right? Right? Everybody likes good southern food, right? Comfort food. But let me tell you, if being comfortable is always your priority, then you got to be careful because you'll lean on the food. And food will control you and it will dictate and determine everything you do, right? Sex. Premarital sex. Sex is comfortable in the marriage bed, all right? And it's great. And uh, everybody should praise God for that. That's married. Be like, yeah, praise the Lord. But then you'll lean into these things because you're looking for comfort. And you'll lean into drugs and pornography and, and other things that make you comfortable. Really, what it, what it boils down to is your flesh will control you. That you will no longer be leading your life, but your flesh will be leading it for you. Right? Four good things that will take the king's seat. And here's what you can expect if those things are sitting in the king's seat. The first thing is distance. The king wants to be close to his people. If he's not in his throne, if he's not on the throne of your heart and you feel far from God, then this is a great time to look inside and be like, hey, what's going on with me? Am I waking up in the morning and meeting with Jesus? 
Am I worshiping Him? Am I in His Word? Am I devoted to prayer? Am I, am I pursuing Him? Listen, it's a two-way street. You don't get to God because you go find Him. You find God because God found you, right? But once He finds you, guess what? Relationship. There's this back-and-forth pursuit. That's why we sing those three songs. Like, people show up at church because they think, man, church has got something for me. I'm coming here to get something for me. The reality is, church, you're supposed to bring something to it, and, which is worship. Worship. It's where we all get together and we look towards heaven and say, man, thank you. Thank you. We want you here. We want you in our life, right? It's that, that's what it is. Because we want to be close to the king. And I can always look at people on Sunday and see how they worship and determine how their week went with God. Because no matter how difficult your life is, if you're meeting with Jesus, you'll always want to worship him. Here's the second thing, disappointment. Are you noticing a lot of disappointment in your life? Something or someone is sitting in a seat that they're not supposed to sit in. You'll always be disappointed when sports and hobbies and activities and girls and guys and kids or food or anything else sits in a seat that's only fit for a king. You'll always be disappointed. And then the third thing is destruction. Remember what the enemy said. He, he said, I come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Meaning what? See, some of us think Satan's just out to make our life miserable. Not a chance. That's just phase one. I come to steal your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness. I've come to steal all of that. I've come to kill your dreams, your family, your vision, right? And I've come to destroy you, meaning this is where you get to the place where your life is no more. And you're over. That's what he comes to do. And listen, if Jesus is not sitting in his seat on the throne of your heart, you can expect destruction to happen. You can expect your marriage to be destroyed, your finances to be in shambles. You can expect your family to be a mess. You can expect all of that. But remember in Romans what it says, Romans 6, 16, don't you realize grace frees you to choose your own master, but choose carefully for you surrender yourself to become a servant a servant bond to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master and it will own you and reward you with death, with destruction, right? But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. The fruit of perfect righteousness is always closeness with the Father. Closeness with the Father means you experience joy and you walk in it, right? So we have a choice. Here's, that's the good news. Like this might seem like, man, this is harsh. The good news is, hey, if we're aware of ourselves and where we are with God and we're honest with ourselves, we have an opportunity to make decisions today that will change how we live from this moment forward. Scripture says that in Romans 6. We can choose today. Hey, listen, I want to give you some good news, all right? I want to give you... When the king is in his seat, I want to give you three important things you need to know. And all three of these will produce joy. The first thing is you have help if the king is in his seat. And guess what? Help means you're not alone. How many of you have been on this faith journey and you have felt alone? 
and isolated, right? And that's the enemy's playground. And the reality of it is this, that he says, I'm sending a comforter to a, a friend, right, to walk with you. Alongside you is actually what the, the Greek word says, that I am literally like dice rolling the Holy Spirit alongside you to walk through life with you. Listen, when the king's in his seat, you know no matter how bad the circumstances are, you have help and he is with you. Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present. Always there. Yeah, yeah, but if he's there, why am I having such a hard time, right? Remember what Jesus said in the book of John, right? In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Why do we think that we should have it easy following Jesus, but when Jesus lived here, he didn't have it easy at all? It's an invitation into suffering, long-suffering. Nobody likes to preach on that, but the reality of it is long-suffering produces long-lasting fruit that changes cities, nations, countries, changes the world. Second thing is you have strength. You know what strength does? Come on. It gives you the energy to have joy. You ever showed up tired somewhere, felt weak, felt like you've been in a boxing match? Come on, this has been me the past two weeks where you getting up is literally survival mode, right? And you're just walking through the motions. But if you will wake up and meet with Jesus, he'll give you supernatural strength. Supernatural strength infuses you with passion and excitement. Passion and excitement gives you energy to experience joy. No one who's ever been tired has been expressive with joy. You're like, man, like your kid come, like my kid did it a couple weeks ago, came home with good news, excited, something I should have been excited about. And I was like, that's good. That's good. And shoot her away, right? Later had to repent because I let circumstances impact me that were outside of my control and were outside of my home. I let those things rob me of what God had given me inside my home, right? Listen, you have strength when you're close to them. That gives you energy to have joy. Look at 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. When the king is in his seat, it means you and I are committed to him. There is a promise attached to this strength. Strength. How many of you could use strength? I know I could. And I'm not, I'm not talking about just, listen, go to the gym, work out, and get some natural strength. But you'll die, and that'll go away, all right? I'm not telling you that's bad. I'm talking about supernatural <laughs> strength. Jesus gives a strength that passes through eternity, that you can carry forever, right? Here's my third and final point. Worship team, you can come up. You be quiet. Third and final point for this. You become fearless when the king is in a seat. Fear will always rob you of joy. 
But Jesus can make us fearless, right? What does he say in Psalms 23? Scriptures say, David says this about God, that you prepare a table before my enemies. You guys understand what that means? Do you know what the table is symbolic for? It's a gathering place of fellowship and relationship and intimacy and love. Yeah, you can come stand up here with me. Come on. For God to prepare a table before, in front of your circumstances, in front of your troubles, he's saying, I see them, but we can fellowship right here. Do you know what fellowship would do? Make you fearless. You know what being fearless will do? Even when you're looking at that bad doctor report, you can still have joy. Even when you're looking at that kid who's far from God that you love, right? But you want them to come home to God and they're on drugs and they're in a bad spot and you're devastated because of it. Even though you can still have joy because you know God's not lied to you yet. He's never left you one time. He's never abandoned you. And guess what? He's never lost a battle. Never lost a battle. The reality of it is this. Having joy is great, but the only way to get joy, the world tries to make it and create it and bottle it up and give you a way to have it, but the reality of it is this. It is joy is an invasion from heaven that only comes through fellowship and relationship with God. And guess what? When you fellowship and have relationship with God, (laughs) it gives you an understanding of how much he loves you. And it causes you to move, your body to move. Faith is an active thing. It moves, right? It causes you to worship. It causes you to change how you live, which is worship. It causes you to change how you work, which is worship. It causes you to change everything because now you see everything as an opportunity to worship. And from that place, you will experience joy. Can I just challenge you with this? Can we choose today to put the king back in his seat? Which simply means this. Can we choose today to walk in true relationship, meaning this, secretly famous, every single day I'm in the word, every day I'm praying, every day I'm going after God, intentional pursuit of him from us. Can we, can we choose that Because if you do, I promise you this, you're choosing to worship, which means you're choosing joy.